What a great night last night was. What, what do you think? Encouraged? Yeah. Excellent. I woke up encouraged. You know, I had a thought this morning when I was spending time with the Lord. Alan and Tina were talking about crisis being like, really like some of the high points. I mean, you look back and you think that's where it all kind of, God started working this incredible thing in our life. And I thought, you know, the cross of Christ was the ultimate crisis. Right? Looked like the worst thing ever. But it brought back this life that continues thousands of years and will go on into eternity. This life, just incredible life. And uh, I wanted to read one verse from Romans chapter 5 at the end of chapter 5. Don't know what verse it is. Well, I could figure it out, but it's this is the message, and they never let you know what verse it actually is. So it says, Sin doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Grace at work in our lives. And uh, what a privilege to be here with you guys at Grace Life and, and what God's doing here. And uh, let's just start with prayer. Would you join me? God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you've called us into life. That you've called our marriages into life. That you're at work. That you cause everything to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We thank you that you've orchestrated this weekend, that you, uh, brought Jim, uh, you brought Jimmy and Ramona in contact with Alan and Tina, and you created, you've caused a relationship to start growing there, and, and then you've brought them here, Alan and Tina, to us, Lord, to Grace Life. And we just ask, God, that you would open our eyes and our ears this morning to take in everything you're saying to us through these folks, and that uh, we would see life on and on and on, as you work your incredible grace in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Alan. Well, good morning, everybody. Y'all awake? Do we need to do jumping jacks or anything? Um, we're so glad to be able to share again today. And uh, I'm going to do this first session by myself. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about conflict. And then in the next session... Uh, Tina is going to join me. We'll have a break in the middle uh, where you'll have an opportunity to uh, uh, sign up for small group, marriage small groups, if you're not in a small group and, and need one of those. So we'll tell you a little bit about that at the break. Uh, don't forget, if you have questions uh, about anything that we're talking about or anything we don't talk about, if you'll write those down and uh, drop them in the bucket and uh, I thought maybe I should get everybody to at least pretend to write a question just in case your spouse watching you write that question makes you nervous. But uh, take a minute and just jot it down and uh, so we can talk about it. I want to make sure that we uh, talk about the things that you need to talk about so that our, our time together is as helpful as possible. You know, I was thinking this morning 
and just asking the, the Lord uh, for devotional thought, what we should share. And I was thinking again about some of what I've been reading this week in my one-year Bible, just the story of Moses and Israel's deliverance from Egypt. And one of the things that really struck me last week as I was reading that, that I think is so relevant to what we're doing and why you're here today, is, you know, when Moses goes to Egypt to deliver Israel, we all realize God doesn't need Moses, right? I mean, he could have done it without Moses. And he could have sent an angel. I mean, he could have done it. There was a lot of ways he could have done it. And he didn't need Moses. And when I was thinking about that, you know, sometimes in marriage and in life in general, we find ourselves praying and saying, God, I want you to fix my marriage. Or God, I... You know, please fix my kids, or God, please fix this, or fix that. And there's these different things in our life, and we're praying and asking. And really what we're hoping is that God will just kind of swoop down and make it all better. And the truth is, most of the time, God works through us. He could do it without us. He's just chosen not to. Because God wants the process to help you become everything He intended you to become, for you to grow up and to reflect the image and the glory of Christ. And so in that story, over and over again, it's just interesting. God says to Moses, stretch out your hand. Over and over again, you, you know, you read the story. I just started underlining all the times that God said to Moses, stretch out your hand or lift up your staff and and, and the idea is, Moses, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it through you. And you coming to this this weekend, this is your way of stretching out your hand. It's your way of saying, God, I, I want you to work in our marriage, but I'm also, I'm willing to be the vessel that you work through. And that's how God strengthens and builds our marriage he doesn't like do it magically in the night while we're sleeping. He does it through us. And he wants you to stretch out your hand and to begin working to build a great marriage. And, and, uh, and then at the end of the day, you get to, he gets to celebrate you becoming all he intended you to become. You get to celebrate seeing God work powerfully in and through your life, which is just fantastic. And it gives you the ability then to turn around, like we talked about yesterday, and to share your story and to help other people around you learn how to do the same thing. You know, if God just came in and fixed it, what would you say to people? Well, you know, just keep praying that God will just show up and fix it. But when God shows up and works in you and changes you so that your marriage improves, then that's the very thing that gives you the capacity to help other couples know how to build a great marriage. When we think about marriage, two big, two big issues uh, seem to come up over and over again. So through the years, Tina and I have got to do uh, primarily because... Oh, by the way, where's the couple who was married the youngest? Are they in the room? Where are they? Here they are, Tina. Would you all stand up? Let's just give them a round of applause again. We have our gift certificates. This morning, so congratulations, enjoy a little date, get you some ice cream, stare into each other's eyes, 
sing a song or something. You know, when we've, we've been done a lot of marriage counseling through the years, and the two biggest things that we have to help couples with, two biggest things, and this is what our two sessions will be about today, one of the big things we have to do, deal with is conflict. And conflict really, conflict deals with every issue because every issue turns into conflict. So, you know, whatever the issue is that you're struggling with in your marriage, the issue creates conflict. And so if you can learn how to deal with conflict, if you can learn how to work together to solve issues, then, man, that's very empowering because then it doesn't really matter what the issue is. You all know how to work together to figure it out. So we're going to talk about that in this session. And then the next session, we're going to talk about sex because especially today, I mean, this is more and more true. Uh, the the number one thing we have to couple counsel, uh, counsel couples about is sexual problems. And it's usually, generally speaking, because they come into their marriage with all kinds of baggage and expectations and unrealistic expectations. And and it just it just creates a, creates a mess. So we have to to help them with that. Now, if we can do pre-marriage counseling, and we try to do that at our in our church, and I don't know if y'all do that, but we have a, uh, we utilize, and maybe we can talk about this offline, uh, or I can email it to you, but we utilize a, an online survey that allows couple. it really, evac- couples fill it out online, and it really helps them identify their strengths and weaknesses, and then we go through, our campus pastors take them through a seven-week process to address that stuff, and if we do that on the front end, Oh, man, it just makes a tremendous difference because it helps them to address these two issues so they begin in a much better place than uh, Tina, Tina and I began. So today we're going to talk about conflict. I was reading the story about this man. He was walking on the beach in California. He found this little lamp. He picked it up and was dusting it off, and poof, you know, a genie popped out. And genie said, man, I'm so glad you have released me from my lamp, and uh, I, I will do whatever you ask me to do. You know, any wish you want, what, what would you like? And he said, well, you know, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but the truth is I'm terrified of flying and getting on a boat makes me sick. So really what I'd love for you to do is if you would build a road, a bridge that would stretch from the beach here in California over to Hawaii so I could drive, that would be fantastic. And the genie, he just kind of chuckled and said, you know, you don't realize what you're asking. You know, that how do you support a bridge where the, you know, the pillars have got to go all the way down to the bottom of the ocean. And just imagine how much concrete and steel it would take to build a bridge from California all the way to Hawaii. I mean, it would just be an, an engineering impossibility. You've got you to come up with something else. And he said, well, the only other thing I can think of is I wish you would help me to understand the emotions of my wife. I mean, she... She cries when she's happy. She cries when she's sad. She, I just cannot figure her out. I mean, it's, I just don't know what to do. And if you could help me to understand her, that would be great. And he said, well, would you like that road to be two lanes or four lanes? <laughs> conflict is a challenge, right? Here are the top ten conflict mistakes that we make. You might want to jot, jot these down. Number one. Some of us avoid conflict altogether. This was Tina's M.O. She wanted to avoid conflict. She grew up in a family that, I love her family. I I was telling her, her mom was uh, up last weekend for our revival. 
And uh, I got her to come and to share at our, we had a Saturday morning prayer meeting and and a bunch of people there, and she's just a praying woman. She used to be a uh, speaker for the Women's Glow, spoke all over the nation. I mean, she's just a powerful woman of God and the prayingest person I know. And So I got her to get up and to share and just told the church how much I appreciated it. She just has loved me. Um, I mean, her parents have been so good to me, such a blessing, such a gift. And and, uh, and I was I was just sharing that, but Tina grew up in this in this home that was just so strong. However, she really didn't learn how to do conflict. They they didn't they didn't really fight or argue or deal with conflict in front of their kids. And uh, her dad Larry, and again, he has been he was such a good father to me and taught me so much. Taught me how to how to do all kinds of things. I mean, he was he was a dad to me for a, a long time, more than 20 years. And uh, But Larry, when he got mad, he just stopped talking and had kind of a bad look on his face and would disappear. That was, that's what Larry did. When he was mad, he just kind of disappeared. And uh, he, he didn't know how to really process that. And I think out of a fear that he was going to do or something he would re- do or say something he'd regret, he would just withdraw. And uh, Tina and I, when we got married, uh, we, we were soon to my family, we talked about everything right out in the open, and it was a big explosion usually, you know, I mean, explosions all the time in my family, which is, my family is a mess. And uh, so Tina and I got married, just imagine, Tina's trying to run away, and I'm trying to explode on her. I mean, that's, that's what our conflict looked like. So she was avoiding it. Listen, avoiding conflict doesn't make it go away, doesn't make it better. You know, if you, if you, this week, I, Tina was out of town for a couple of days, I told y'all this week, and when Tina's out of town, you know, we don't cook as much, and so the trash cans don't fill up as quickly, and that kind of thing, because we're just not in the kitchen as much, and uh, after about three days, I, I walked in the house, and I was like, what is that smell? And it was just something that I'd put in the trash can like three or four days earlier, now it was stinking, I needed to take the trash out, and that's what happens if you avoid conflict. It doesn't go away. It just starts stinking. And st- I mean, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. You got to deal. You got to deal with it. So you don't want to avoid conflict. Second, being defensive. Being defensive. A lot of people, when they have conflict, they, their immediate reaction is to defend themselves. And uh, one of the things that uh, Tina and I, years ago, I started doing with Tina is when we started trying to deal with conflict, and if she got riled up about something, I would just say to her, Tina, I'm on your side. And it was just a way to try to disarm the situation. I didn't want Tina to believe that I was against her. I am for her. I'm always for her. Might not agree with her, but I'm still for her. You understand that? So I would just say to her, I'm on your side. If I thought she was getting too riled up or, you know, Whatever I would just say, I would just say that to her several times sometimes. I'm on your side. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm on your side. You know, we're on the same team. And it just, it just helped diffuse the situation. And just learning, I don't have to defend myself. In fact, again, like we talked about briefly last night, if I will listen, that's actually, if I need to defend myself, listening is the key. 
So if I don't listen, I actually I handicap myself. So if I listen well, often there's nothing to defend. But if I listen well, if I need to defend myself, then I can talk about what Tina is concerned about, how she feels, what she perceives, without being defensive. It actually arms me to settle the conflict. So you want to be careful about being defensive. In our early years, I'm, I'm kind of good at talking and good at arguing in the moment. That's, I guess, what preachers do some. And uh, so when we'd have conflict, I mean, she'd start talking, and before she could even finish her sentence, I'm arguing and turning it around, and it's her fault. Well, you know what happens when you do that for a little bit? That person learns you're not safe. I will not talk to you. In fact, when I was uh, meditating on Ephesians 5.25, one of the verses that God reminded me about was Hebrews 4.15 and 16. It says this. It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who's been tempted in every way as we ourselves are tempted. That's verse 15. Which means Jesus has walked in our shoes. He understands what you're dealing with. Isn't it comforting to know that the God you're approaching, the God you're coming to, He understands? That's a big deal. So I I started saying, Lord, well, help me to understand, Tina. I need to try, I need to do what I can to understand what she's going through, how she feels, what she sees. I want to be a a good, I want to understand. I want to really see and feel and experience that. Then verse 16 says, Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in our time of need. You know what that means? Not only does he understand, but he's approachable. Isn't it great that when we run to God, he doesn't get mad, defensive, and like strike us down? That'd be bad, wouldn't it? Right? But instead, God, even often, we're blaming God for our mess. But God's secure enough just to receive us and to take that and to be approachable and understanding and to bring healing and to lead us on a journey towards freedom and strength. And man, that's the kind of, that's the kind of husband I wanted to be. So I wanted to learn to be understanding. I wanted to be approachable. I, I think it is a man's responsibility because you are the stronger vessel. I am bigger and stronger than my wife. That's true for most of us. And so I want to make sure that I'm working to create an environment where Tina feels safe to tell me anything, which means I can't be defensive. In our early years, I was defensive, and our our arguments would be explosive. And I'll never forget the last time we got in a really explosive argument. It was our first first few months of marriage. We were in seminary, and we got to arguing so hard to where I was talking to her like this. And, and, and I'll never forget, she's against the wall, and I'm like this, and I could tell she was afraid of me in that moment. And it just broke my heart. And I made a decision that day, I will never again raise my voice with my wife. And I, I just, I can't, commu- even if she's completely wrong and crazy, I get to decide how I respond. I don't have to be defensive. I don't have to shout and scream. I don't have to try to intimidate my wife with my physical presence because I'm bigger and stronger. 
All of that is ridiculous. So we want to be real careful not to be defensive, but to really try to listen to each other. Third, overgeneralizing. This is when we use statements like, you always whatever. You never whatever, right? And uh, it's like we're throwing in these grenades. You never, you know. And uh, we just want to be real careful about those generalizations. The truth is, anything that Tina has ever done that's negative, I, I don't think there's anything that she's ever done that was wrong in the moment that she always did kind of on purpose to hurt me. Why would she do that, you know? So we just want to be careful about those overgeneralizing. Here's the fourth thing, always being right. Always being right. Some of us struggle with that. Some of us always think we're right. And it's very difficult for us to even consider. Maybe I'm seeing this wrong. Maybe I'm misunderstanding. Maybe my spouse has a valid point I need to consider. And, uh, you know, we just have to, we have to really work to guard our heart. Number five, mind reading. I like to say ladies are worse at this. I'm not sure. We have to be careful, right? One of the things that was a struggle with Tina and I is Larry. You remember that face I told you he'd make? He'd get upset and he'd have that disappointed look on his face. And so Tina learned to read that. Oh, I know what dad's thinking. And in our, in our relationship, she would look at me and she would make a sub, she would read my mind. Well, I know what Alan's thinking. He's mad at me, or I, he's disappointed in me, or he, now she's learned, I'm so thankful this is true, now she's learned to just ask me, are you mad because you got a weird look on your face? And I mean, I could, I could just remember the last three or four times she's asked me that question and I thought, what are you talking about? What fa-? I mean, I'm just totally clueless. And, she, and if she doesn't have the guts to ask that question, she might spend the rest of the day thinking I'm mad at her and it's imaginary. In fact, we could end up in a fight about an imaginary thing that doesn't even exist. So by just asking the question, then it, it just eliminates that issue. So she's learned not to assume, but just to ask me, are you mad? Are you disappointed? Are you, you know, what's, what's going on? And it gives us a chance to talk about it. Number six, poor listening. And uh, the, the, pro, the thing that makes poor listening so easy to fall into is we're so ready to say what we think. Again, if you'll listen, 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 then when you actually do speak, you'll say the right thing. If you don't listen, you're almost guaranteed to say the wrong thing. So when you're, when you're doing conflict with each other, just think about when y'all are starting to butt heads, do you interrupt each other? When you interrupt each other, you're not even allowing that person to finish their statement or sentence before you're already defending and attacking back. If you'll do that one thing, just stop doing that and just listen, 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 you'll be amazed. The truth is, I cannot remember a time that I've been in a fight with Tina. Now, what's shocking about that is, I mean, 20 years ago, when we fought, everybody knew we were fighting. I mean, it was a big, loud, ugly mess. I can't remember a fight with Tina. 
It doesn't mean we don't have issues. Things come up just like everybody else. We've just learned to talk about it. And if we'll talk about it and listen well, usually a very obvious solution pops out of that conversation that we both feel great about. There was nothing to fight about. We're on the same team. So if you'll learn to listen, 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 I'm telling you, it will just empower you to eliminate almost all of your fighting. You don't have to fight at all. Just talk and listen. When issues come up, the solution usually becomes pretty obvious. Number seven, play in the blame game. We have to be careful not to just assume it's, it's my spouse's fault and to blame them for everything. We should ask ourselves the question, what am I responsible for in this conflict? What's the thing that needs to change? So, so there might be some things that Tina's doing wrong that need to change. Okay, well, that's fine. But what am I doing wrong? What do I need to change? And we just have to be, we have to be careful to try to take responsibility for all that we can. Number eight, trying to win the argument. In other words, your focus is not on understanding Your focus is on being right. Who cares if you're right and lose your marriage? Who cares if you're right and hurt your, damage your relationship? Your relationship is way more valuable. Your relationship is the thing that's going to add to your quality of life, not being right about some little issue. So you want to be careful about that. Number nine, character attacks. Again, rather than dealing with the issue, attacking somebody. So like, for example, right now, when you watch uh, what's been happening in our, in our country right now and all the craziness since the election, and that, all the craziness before the election, rather than talking about the issue, what's everybody doing? They're just lobbing these character attacks against the other side. No one's talking about issues anymore. No one's talking about whether or not this idea is a good idea and here's the five reasons it's a good idea. Here's the five reasons it's a bad idea. What should we do? You cannot hear that conversation because it's not happening. Instead, we've picked names for each other and we're just throwing names. You're a whatever you are. Just an attack. Rather than talking about the actual decision, we're just attacking each other. Couples do that all the time. So rather than actually talking about whatever it is, we have a tendency to start attacking each other. You know, you're just, you never listen. You're just a big mouth, or you're just insensitive, or you're just self-centered, or you're so selfish, or you're, I mean, it's just an attack of each other's character. We're not even talking about the issue. Issues kind of become irrelevant. The whole conversation's about how terrible that person is. So you got to be careful about that. Last thing, 10, stonewalling. Sometimes, now, Tina is a processor. So when we talk about things, I know, I, I want to talk about it, make a decision in the moment, let's do it yesterday. Tina wants to talk about it, and then she wants to think about it a little while. Then she wants to come back and talk about it again. Then she might need to think about it a little while. And at some point along the way, we'll decide, right? 
So we're opposites. Well, the truth is, I need Tina to slow me down. And Tina needs me to speed her up. We need each other. So again, we're, our, our strengths, our uniqueness, they would complement each other, which is, which is good. Which is good. But I have to understand, I have to give her time to process. And she has to understand, I want to talk about it. However, sometimes people stonewall, they use, I don't want to talk about it, as a passive-aggressive way to punish their spouse. That's not the same thing, right? It's one thing for Tina to say, let me think a little bit about it, and we'll talk about it later today, or maybe we can talk about it tomorrow. No problem. That's perfectly legitimate, right? It's another thing to go, I'm not even talking about this, and walking away. And then I'm just kind of left in an emotional tizzy. I don't have any outlet. I can't talk about it. I can't really go tell other people about it. I don't even understand it myself. And I'm just mad all day. And she's just thinking, that's what he gets. I ain't talking about it. He can just sit over there and feel sorry and be mad and act stupid if he wants. I ain't talking about it. Well, that's just being passive aggressive. She's really attacking me with her silence. That is not a healthy communication style. So that's 10 mistakes that we make. So how do we do this well? In James chapter 4, James chapter 4, let me give you, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. It's all about conflict, and then we'll talk a little bit about how to do it well. Verse 1, what is, let me read it off the screen so we got the same translation. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? That's a great question, right? Anytime you get in a fight, With anybody, this passage, this passage comes into play. So what causes fights in your marriage, with your kids, at work, with your relatives, with the in-laws, with the people at the ball field? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In other words, you want something so bad, you're willing to kill somebody to have it. That's what he's saying. Let's go on. You desire and you don't have. So you're willing to kill somebody. You want it so bad, you'll hurt somebody. You covet and you can't obtain. So you're fighting in quarrel to have your way. You're so determined to have your way. You know what that is? It's idolatry. So when I get so mad, I've got to have whatever it is. It's idolatry. I'm worshiping it. It's enslaving me. And now I'm furious because I can't have my idol. That's what he's saying. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. So instead of looking to God and saying, God, you're my source and I'm going to trust you. And if you'll give it to me, then then it's probably good and, and I can handle it without it hurting me. But we don't even ask God because the truth is we probably don't think God cares or God... We probably don't think God wants us to have it. We want it anyway. In fact, when you're in, next time you're in a fight, just stop and say, well, let's ask Jesus what he thinks about this. You know how hard it is to, you know how hard it is to be angry and, and attacking each other and then say, okay, let's stop and pray. You know, the truth is, every time you're dealing with an issue, if you can't stop in that moment and pray about it, then the devil 
is in that conflict. It is a spiritual attack. You are dealing with a, it is spiritual warfare. There is a demon in the room. I mean, I'm serious. It is, it is that. So when Tina and I are trying to work something out, if we can't pause and say, let's just ask the Lord. Let's just pray right now and ask God to help us. Boy, if we can't do that, then we should not talk about it. Because it means that the enemy is probably driving that conversation. So James is kind of uncovering, exposing what's really happening. You ask and don't have because you ask wrongly. Just spend it on your passion. In other words, the things you're asking about is all about you and your selfishness, self-centeredness. Verse 4, you adulterous people. So again, adulterous, same thing as idolatry. In other words, he's saying, you're not being faithful to me. You've got another lover. It's that thing you want. You want that more than you want me. You want that thing in your relationship or you want your way more than you want to live in the Spirit. That's what he's saying. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world, wanting that thing so bad, is actually makes you an enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says, he that yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God is saying, listen, God is jealous, not of us, but for us. And saying, so humble yourself and trust God. Let me be your source. I'll work this stuff out in due time. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. The devil's in that argument. So resist him, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, we should be brokenhearted over how easy the enemy entices us to idolize some issue, some circumstance, our way, to idolize that to where we want that more than we want God. We want that more than we want to, to live at peace with our spouse and to love our spouse. He said, man, that should break our hearts. We need to humble ourselves. We need to resist the devil. We need to recognize this is a spiritual attack. so That we can draw near to God. And God is faithful to, to draw near to us. Verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. And he'll exalt you. It's the same thing Peter said, right? If we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he'll exalt us. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. So here's a few things you need to know. Number one, when I fight, it's because someone is standing in the way of what I think will make me happy. Every time I get in a fight with anyone, it's because someone is standing in the way of what I'm convinced in that moment will make me happy. You won't give me what I want. You won't give me the secret to my happiness. And now I'm mad and ready to attack you. Now there's a difference. This is so important. There's a difference between conflict and fighting. Conflict is unavoidable in any relationship. So you can't be in a relationship with another person without conflict. Conflict is just when my idea, what I want comes, crosses what somebody else wants. That's what conflict is. There's no way to avoid that. There are times where Tina wants something and I want something. 
and they're not the same. That's conflict. Conflict's unavoidable. Fighting is completely different. Conflict can be very healthy and actually strengthen your relationship, deepen your intimacy, allow you to to learn how to problem solve and work together. Conflict is fine. In fact, it's, it's healthy. Fighting is just destructive. So fighting is when I'm determined to have what I want because I think it'll make me happy. And somebody is keeping me to have it, so I am attacking that person. That, we want to get out of that pattern because that does not help us. It actually hurts us. You know, when a small child doesn't get what they want, and we've all, some of us have small children. My children did this, and I did this when I was that age, right? What small children do is they fall on the ground and, they kick their feet and legs around, and they scream their head off, and they cry, and it's their way of demanding, I have to have my way. And sometimes as adults, that's what we look like, right? Because we're so convinced, just like a little child, we're convinced, if I don't get that cookie, I'm going to die today. Being around my kids sometimes is so ridiculous. Now, they're 15, 14, and 9. I was with them this week at a ball game. Like I said, Tina was out of town, so my youngest in particular had to go to a couple of games, and she doesn't like going to the games. If she can be at home and not have to do that, that's better. And so we're at the ball game, and, and uh, she had to be there a couple hours, and, and she's just in the stands. I mean, she is literally about to starve to death and just kill over dead. Oh, when are we going to go eat? I'm starving. She has never been starving one moment in her life. I mean, that's so ridiculous. But she doesn't understand that, and she's just acting like a crazy person. And sometimes we do that as adults in our marriage over something that we want. And, and it's, the truth is that behavior damages our relationship. And again, our relationship is always more valuable than whatever the thing is that's creating the conflict. So value the relationship over whatever the issue is, the item, where your ideas are conflicting. James says, humble yourself. Don't fall in love with the world. Don't believe, don't be deceived into believing that the world is holding out before you. What they're holding out is more important than marriage. Here are the top five things people fight over. You might want to write this down. Top five things people fight over. Number one thing people fight over is money. Money. And uh, Dave Ramsey talks about this a lot. Those of you that have done financial peace or follow Dave Ramsey. But the number one reason given for divorce is financial pressure and stress. Don't fight over money. If Tina, if there's a financial issue in our life or marriage, the truth is that has nothing to do with my relationship with Tina. That is something that is outside of our relationship that we have to work together to solve that problem. That's another thing I used to remind Tina of. We'd, there'd be some issue we're trying to figure out that maybe we don't agree on or is just creating some stress in the moment. And I would say to Tina, listen, we're on the same team. This is not about me and you. It's about that issue over there. So you and I 
have got to work together to solve that issue. We're on the same team and that's the enemy. I'm not the enemy. You're not the enemy. The enemy is that issue. So the enemy is financial pressure. So how are we going to work together to solve the financial pressure enemy? You see that? And what most couples do is there's financial pressure and so they look at their spouse and go, it's your fault. You're the problem. No, your spouse isn't the problem. Your spouse is your teammate. And y'all have to work together to solve the problem that really is outside of your relationship to each other. But money is the number one thing that creates a conflict in marriage. Now, the key to, the key to money is very simple. Live within your means. Create financial margin. We get overextended. Why do we get overextended? We get overextended because we think that thing we overextended to have would make us happy. And the truth is, your marriage will make you much happier than a boat. We walked into Cabela's yesterday. There was a beautiful boat there. I thought, man, we could have this. There's a lake near our house. It was only $230 a month. We can hook it right up. I mean, we got the, the suburban with us and put this boat on, just take it right to the marriage conference and take it home with us. Wouldn't that be great? And Tina just kind of pushed me along. So I just keep, just keep walking, just keep walking. Because the truth is, listen, no matter how great and how much fun that boat would be, my marriage brings me so much more life than a boat. So the boat's not bad. It's not evil. It's not the devil, it's amoral, right? But if the boat creates stress, then that can potentially damage our relationship because Tina's going to be in that boat going, this is your fault. And Tina's going to be writing that check every month and saying, this is your fault. You're the one that wanted to buy this dumb boat, right? And that, and so our relation, I got to value our relationship over Anything that would potentially cause financial stress. I want to eliminate. You know when you have margin, you can have a lot more fun. When you, last night we came here. We went to that great, what was the name of that restaurant again? I've been telling everybody about this restaurant. They should pay me a commission or something. What was the name of it? Solstice Sol, Sol, Kitchen. Right down the street. It is awesome, man. We had to, that food last night. I'm not kidding. That's the best Fish taco I've ever eaten. Tina said she was eating a scallop. She said, I think this is the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. It is awesome. But you know, we got here last night. We didn't have to go to Burger King. We have margin. We can afford to go to a nice restaurant. And then this thing ended. We went back to the restaurant. And got dessert. Took it back to the hotel so we could have some good dessert. Why? Because we're not, a, we're not sitting around going, oh gosh, where's that $10 going to come from? You sh- don't put yourself under that kind of pressure to where every time your kids want to do something or you want to go somewhere or you just want to go grab an ice cream, you, you can't do it because everything's so tight. Don't make yourself that tight. Create margin. Margin allows you to enjoy life and and you need to make, I, I'm not a financial planner, and you might need one of those, especially 
you know, if you've never created a financial plan, you need to create a financial plan. But one thing I can absolutely tell you is create margin. Live within your means. I, I tell our church all the time, give 10, save 10, and live on 80. You'll never have financial problems. It is not complicated. It's not complicated. The problem is our own lust, our desires sometimes are out of control. In American culture, our entire economy is, is built on convincing you that the next thing will make you happy. And so most Americans overextend and they spend a dollar thirty for every dollar they earn every single month. And so they're stressed out and it, and it makes a mess all over the place. Don't live that way. Live within, within your means. Second, number one, number two thing we fight about is sex. Sex. Now, let me just ask you a very practical question. Do you think fighting leads to a better sex life? (laughs) That's the dumbest idea in the world. Let's fight about sex. That doesn't work out. So... You need to work on your sex life. We'll talk about that. You should, you, should, you should do what you can to have a great sex life. I think that's a very good and reasonable expectation. But fighting about sex doesn't lead to more sex or better sex. Uh, if you want to have a, a great sex life, you've got to talk and work on that together, not, not fight about it. Number three, work. We fight about work. The primary issue here is that we work too much. And uh, my job, just like any other job, there every single day, there is infinitely more to do than can be done that day. Every day. There's about 4 billion people on the planet today going to hell. There is way more work to do than I can do today. I got to do what I can do and what I'm called to do today. And I got to go home and enjoy my family. Because part of what I'm called to do to build the kingdom of God is to give my wife and my kids my best. And at the end of the day, if we all did that, the gospel would spread much faster than if I neglect my kids and family and I go out on the street and try and win people all the time to the neglect of my family. So the point is, everybody's job is the same. Everybody's job's the same. There's more to do than you can do. It's true for all of us. So two things. Number one, become a better leader. Smart, uh, work smarter, not harder. Uh, so there are some things that you can do, just like me. If I'm not careful, my whole work can be dominated by what is urgent, and I neglect what is important. And so I never get ahead, and I'm always overwhelmed with things to do. I had to, to learn to lead better than that. i got to give away the urgent and empower some other people so I can focus on what is important so that over the course of time, I actually become much more productive and I accomplish more. So there are some things that you can do to grow as a leader and to grow personally that help you to be a better employee But at the end of the day, no matter how good you get, there's more to do than you can do. And you have to work as hard. Now, now you can't sit in the office on Facebook all day. That's just stealing. You got to work hard and do the best you can to be a good employee, as unto the Lord. But at the end of the day, you got to turn the computer off 
and go home and not think about it again until tomorrow. You got to work to try and do that. Give your best to your family. Fourth, and the, let me just say one more thing about that. It doesn't matter how successful you are, if you lose your family, you will be disappointed. You find a person who made gobs of money and succeeded, but lost their family. And you ask that person, was that a good decision? And they will just flat out plainly tell you, I was sitting in the office, my father left me when I was five. About three years ago, he was sitting in my office, and he said to me, that is the worst decision I've ever made. I've lived every day of my life with guilt and regret over that decision. I'm telling you, no one walks out on their family for anything this world offers and feels great about it after they do. They get on the other side and they regret. They gave away what was valuable for something that was sparkly and when they got hold of it, they realized it was fool's gold. So don't make that mistake with work. Number four, we fight over children. Every couple needs to work together to create a plan. How are we going to raise our kids? You want a great resource for that if you've got kids? Uh, one of my favorite books on this topic is Loving Your Kids on Purpose. Loving Your Kids on Purpose. And it's all about, as a parent, how to raise your kids and to make them responsible for their life so that you can really protect and guard your relationship. One of the things that parents, the mistake that parents make in, in, in regard to parenting, probably the biggest mistake is we're trying to be responsible for our kids' lives even though they're 35. We've stayed responsible their whole life. It's like we're still the parent. And this book trains you how to begin very early giving away and making them responsible so you can just love them. And then if they act dumb and do dumb stuff, they get to be responsible and to learn the consequences. The faster they figure that out, the better. You want them to learn that lesson at 15, not 35. When they figure it out at 15, then, you know, they lost their lunch money or crashed their bike or, you know, something like When they figure it out at 35, you're bailing them out of jail. You're trying to come up with attorney fees. I mean, it's just way worse. It's way worse. So a great resource. But we don't want to fight. Listen, again, do we really believe that the minor differences in our parenting strategy is more valuable in the life of our children than a great marriage? In case you're confused, the answer is no. <laughs> so let, let's say that Tina thinks that children should all go to bed at 9 o'clock. And I think, well, who cares? As long as they get up on time in the morning, if they want to stay up all night, it's fine. As long as they're ready for school in the morning. Well, you could, I mean, literally couples, something like that, they want to kill each other. I'm getting divorced. Why? Because my husband lets the kids stay up too late. It's like, really? What your kids need is not necessarily the perfect bedtime because that doesn't exist. What my kids need more than the right bedtime is to know Tina and I love each other and they are in a secure family. You know what the number one fear of middle schoolers in America today is? 
number one fear is that their parents are going to divorce. Number one fear, number one cause of anxiety, my parents are going to divorce. So what my kids need for me is not really perfect parenting. In fact, if Tina and I are both, when it comes to things around the house in particular, we just kind of go with the flow. We don't really have a bunch of rules and things. We're, we're pretty disorganized and just kind of, you know, we just kind of, I don't even know what we do. I mean, because there's just no plan. I mean, a lot of it. There's, I mean, we're just trying to be with our kids and have fun. But you know what our kids know? They know that Tina and I are in love. There is no question. They make fun of us all the time. And I tell them all the time, I like her way better than you. And I trade her. I trade all of y'all in for her every time. I love y'all, but she is my favorite person in the world. And y'all aren't a close second. I mean, they just know. And the truth is, they don't even understand this now because they're so young. But it's, that's the most important thing I can give them. It's the most important thing I can give them, other than Jesus. Other than Jesus. Here's the final thing is housework. Fifth thing couples fight about is housework. In other words, they come home, and because they're both stressed out, and listen, American culture, this is a, this is a real challenge that I think we've got to talk about it as a couple, and we, it's a tension that we've got to manage because I'm not sure how to escape it. But pretty much in American culture, all of us come home, and we feel overly stressed and burdened because companies today, a lot of companies, are trying to do the same thing they did five years ago with half the employees, right? And so it is, it is high pressure, high expectations. It feels overwhelming. And so then we come home and it's like, I mean, we just want to lay on the couch and like recover from work all day. And the truth is we just have to know that and be careful not to blame our spouse for that pressure we feel. Because your spouse, again, they're on your team. They're a part of the solution. They're not the problem. The problem is work. We have, to, we have to work to pay our bills. We all have that. But the truth is we need to come home. And despite all of that, we got to come together and do what we can to create a life-giving environment in our home. And not allow ourselves to fight over housework. Listen, we're all tired at the end of Tina, we were just in the hotel. And Tina's like, oh, I can just see it in my eyes. I'm just so tired. And I said to Tina, I, I probably should admit this in a marriage conference. And I said to Tina, I said, you've been, in, you've been on vacation all week with your family. Why are you tired? <laughs> that was ugly. <laughs> and she said, well, the truth is my family makes me tired. <laughs> Right? And what I've got to do is in that moment, I have to be careful. I have to be careful. And we've, we've gotten to a place where, she, you know, she didn't even say to me, Alan, that was a stupid, insensitive thing you just said. Because she knows when I said it, I already knew that. She didn't really have to point that out. And she just gives me the grace that we just, we just moved right on. She didn't even mention it until this then. That's the first time we've mentioned it. But, you know, what we've got to do, we've got to be careful about in that moment is I can't go, well, you shouldn't be tired. I'm the one that worked all week. And she shouldn't say, well, I'm the one that I had to be with my family that, you know, has all these expectations and they wore me out all week. And now you drug me to this marriage conference. See, we're not careful. That's how the conversation goes, right? 
and then we begin attacking each other. We are not the problem. We're good. The problem is outside of us. And so what we're learning to do is we have to learn how do we work together to manage all these crazy people in the world. Right? We're on the same team, though. That's so important. All right, here's the second thing from our passage. The alternative to fighting is growing in understanding, which empowers me to love. Again, he says, what's causing the fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? You want what you have, so you scheme. You're trying to kill to have it. You don't ask God, and when you do ask, you ask through the wrong motives. In other words, instead of trying to understand each other, we're attacking each other because we're determined to have what we want. And really, the alternative to that is growing in our understanding, which empowers me to love my wife well. So let's talk about some of those strategies. And most of this comes from another great book. I should have brought this book, and I, I forgot it. I just remembered in the moment. It's a seven habits of highly effective leaders, family. He, he added all kinds of things to the end of seven habits to sell a whole bunch of books. This is Stephen Covey, and he's a Mormon. But this is a fantastic book full of a lot of great truth that will really, really help you. But here's a couple of his principles. One of them is seek First to understand, then to be understood. So if your boss said that at work, now you know where he got it, right? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Remember what we talked about last night, James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen. They should seek to understand first. Slow to get angry. Be careful when, when Tina comes to me and shares something. I need to respond by trying to really understand what she's trying to say. What's really beneath the surface? What's going on in her heart? I need to understand. And then I need to be careful not to just get, a, get mad. Just because Tina's feeling something doesn't mean she's blaming me or attacking me. And even if she is blaming me, getting mad and defensive about it just doesn't help the situation at all i need to try to understand and i need to do everything i can to avoid getting angry this woman loves me more than any tina knows me better than anyone in the world and loves me the most so when she's sharing something there's no need for me to get angry and offended and defensive and not listen i want to be quick to listen i want to be slow to anger So I want to listen, listen, listen. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I'm telling you, and I've said this two or three times, but if you will learn to be a good listener, it is incredibly empowering. If I really understand what's going on in Tina's heart, then either I can come help work with her to come up with a solution, or, or maybe there is something that needs to change. Often, if I'll just listen, she just needs to be heard. I, I learned that at church. It's so funny. In the early years of ministry, people would come talk to me about something, and I just got a defensive and blow up and get angry and be offended and all that stuff. And over time, as I matured, I learned to just listen, listen, listen. And if I would just listen, 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 and ask them clarifying questions and just say, man, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened, and is there anything I can do? And just, you know what happens? By the end of that conversation, if I'll just listen and listen and listen, that person will tell me the problem, they'll tell me the solution, 
And they'll tell me what they're going to do. And I get to say, that sounds like a great idea. Let me pray for you. My job's done. When I get defensive, then I just hurt them again. Now I'm taking responsibility for the problem. Now I've got to come up with the solution. And now I've created a big to-do list. That's a dumb thing to do. So when I listen, 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 usually that person will talk them. Sometimes that person will talk themselves to where they go, you know what, really this isn't your fault. I shouldn't even be bothered by this. Okay, you know, that's okay. Well, that's fantastic, right? So many times if they can just be heard and talk it out, they'll sit right there and tell you they're the problem. It's not you anyway. And then you don't have to even deal with it. I mean, it's just incredible. If you'll listen, 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 I'm just telling you, it empowers you to know what to do. One of the things I learned from Tina's dad, Tina's dad was not a talker. Her mom's a talker. He was the quiet one in that relationship. But when Larry spoke, it was often profound. He listened, 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 and then E.F. Hutton, right? I mean, he, he would say something, everybody's like, oh, you know what I mean? It just came, he, was, he got it. And it was primarily because he didn't talk, he just, he listened, he listened. So seek first to understand, then to be understood. So I'm going to listen, listen, listen. And now, sometimes when I listen, I go, Tina, you're exactly right. What can we do about that? How do, how do we fix that problem? Sometimes I listen, 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 and I go, well, let me tell you how, let me tell you how I saw that. This is my perspective. And I'm going to talk and explain how I saw it. And then we say, what do we do? And so it doesn't mean I'm, I become a doormat and I don't have an opinion. Believe me, I share my opinion all the time, sometimes when I shouldn't. But it allows me to really understand her. When I share, it allows her to really understand me. And then again, usually once we've done that, the solution becomes very obvious to both of us. Almost without exception. And then we can just act together in faith. So seek first to understand. Number two, ask clarifying questions. Seek first to understand, ask clarifying questions. Now, this really gets at the heart of the problem. Most couples cannot do that. So your spouse shares something with you, and most couples do not have the capacity to stop and not say anything and ask some clarifying questions. Do you know why? Because the whole time their spouse is talking, they're formulating their argument, and they're ready to win the argument. That's not the point. The point is to understand, not to win. It's to understand. So if you really listen, and then you ask some clarifying questions, what you've done is, number one, you've identified the real issue. Sometimes Tino's talk, and I'll try to clarify, is this what you're saying? And all of a sudden she goes, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Well, that's an important moment, right? Because if I hadn't asked that question, we might have begun debating about something, and we're not even talking about the same thing. 
in the early years of our marriage, Tina and I would fight for two or three hours. And at the end of the two or three hours, we would realize we're fighting about something that doesn't exist. Because early in the conversation, I, miss, I thought she said something she didn't say. And so she's mad because I'm not listening. And I'm mad because she's not listening. And we're actually arguing about some imaginary thing out there that only exists in our imaginations. And the problem is we didn't really understand each other and clarify what the issue is. So if you can listen well and ask those clarifying questions, it makes sure that you identify the issue. And secondly, it honors the person who had the guts to open their heart and to share with you what they're struggling with. Boy, that's a great thing to do, even if they're wrong. Even if they're wrong, you've listened, you cared, you honored them. I don't know how many times I've heard a spouse say, he never listens. She never listens. What a terrible thing to live in a house, to live with somebody every day who you believe never listens to you. Just think about how terrible that must feel. I live with this person. I have to share a bathroom with this person. I have to have sex with this person. They're in my bed every night. This person. And this person is the one person in my life who never listens to me. Can you imagine how painful that is? One of the real problems Tina and I had in the early part of our relationship is that Tina did not feel like she was heard. Do you know why I come home and Tina says, I don't love you, I don't want to be married, I'll never be in the ministry? Do you know what she was saying? You're not listening. You're not listening. You're not listening. So I'm going home. That's basically what she was saying. She really wasn't saying, I don't love you. She really wasn't saying, I'm against marriage. She really wasn't saying, I don't want to be in the ministry. What she was saying is, You're not listening. You're not listening. You're not listening. Seek first to understand. And to ask those clarifying questions makes it very, very clear to your spouse. You're listening. And for a woman in particular, that makes them feel cherished, loved, valued, honored. And I can tell you guys, all the things that you're hoping from in your spouse... If they feel loved and cherished and valued and honored and protected and heard, you're far more likely to get those things in your marriage. So asking those clarifying questions allows you to be sure that you've got the, you've identified the problem. And secondly, it allows your spouse to be honored, to be heard. To be respected. And that, that is, that's 
80% of the argument. 80% of the emotion immediately goes away. Why? This person's listening to me. This person cares how I feel and what I'm going through. And that eliminates about 80% of the emotion. And listen, when you're in conflict, write this down. Emotion trumps logic. Every time. There was a a guy who was on our board, a CEO, great leader, great man. And uh, he was in, they were a part of our church for years and years and years. And uh, in the early years, we were in a, a meeting. At the time, our church had 50 to 70 people in it. And uh, we were in the process of making all these changes. We went from a, being a very tradition, excuse me, traditional broken down church to trying to figure out how do we do ministry to reach this generation. And, and we were making all those changes There were a group of people that had been in the church for years who were upset about the changes. And they were trying to pressure me to basically swing back, to change back to what we were before so that these key families didn't leave our church. And and we had a board meeting to discuss that one night. And and our treasurer, who who I mean really was a friend of mine, his son was on our staff as a volunteer and felt called to the ministry. He's in the ministry today. I, I discipled and developed him. But that night in that meeting, he manipulated our financial picture and basically showed the group that if we continue in the direction that we're, gonna, that we're continuing in, within three months we won't be able to pay our bills. And I felt like it was a very passive-aggressive, manipulative way for him to manipulate these numbers to communicate something that was not true and turned out not to be true. And I, I lost, I blew my top. They were in my living room, and that was my board, that was our board, you know, and this was my friend who is just, I mean, he just, he just betrayed me basically in that meeting and tried to manipulate or pressure me to do something that I knew God was not telling us to do. And I kind of went off. And I'll never forget the next time I saw Roger, Roger's his name, he's the CEO of the giant pharmaceutical company, very successful, great man. And he said, Alan, we were just having a meal together. We were talking about the meeting. And I was just asking him, you know, how do I keep from, you know, what do do I do in that situation? And he'll, I'll never forget him telling me what I just told you. He said, the one thing you've got to remember when you're doing conflict is emotion always trumps logic. So if you're, right but emotion is in the room it's like a fog that just settles in and no one can see the truth anymore because they're so work emotionally worked up again that's what's happening right now in our country so when you turn on the news and you see all all the craziness that's happening what's what is that everybody is so emotionally involved that they can't logically even evaluate if this is a good idea and if this is a a reasonable response They've lost the capacity to do that. Why? Because emotion trumps logic. And in your marriage conflict, that is true. The key to letting the emotion out of that conflict is being a great listener. 
when I, when I look into Tina's eyes and I listen and I ask clarifying questions and then I'm able, before even addressing the issue, to say, I'm sorry you felt that way and I love you and man, we will work this out. What do you think we should do? When I respond that way, guess what? Now there's no, in fact, I create a new emotion. And that motion's helping me. You understand? Because now all of a sudden it's like, she feels like, we haven't even fixed, we haven't even talked about the problem yet. But now my response has created a positive emotion in her heart. And now it's real easy for us to work together on a solution. Listen, listen, listen. Ask clarifying questions. And when you can't, it's because you're too emotionally engaged. You're being defensive. A lot of that's just based in insecurity. And we've got to allow God to deal with that so that we have the strength to listen and to clarify and to be present and to be sensitive and to be understanding, to encourage. And then together, we can tackle the problem. You getting that? Y'all getting that? Okay. All right. Here's the next thing. Come up with a win-win solution. Come up with a win-win solution. Again, this is Stephen Covey. Think win-win is the way he says it. So most people, when there's conflict, immediately we begin to think someone's going to win and someone's going to lose, right? Well, I'm not losing. And so it's like, man, I will do whatever I have to do to win. That is a disastrous way to have conflict. You need to think win-win. So again, Tina and I will we'll say this to each other. Okay, how do, the way we say it is, how do we both get what we want? A win-win situation is, how do, so if you listen well, and you really understand the problem, you've asked some clarifying questions, then you can say, okay, how do we... What do we both want, and how do we come up with a plan, an idea that allows us both to get what we both want? See that? Well, when you're having conflict, and the person on the other side is talking about coming up with a solution that allows you to have what you want, is that good or bad? Is that good or bad? It's good, right? Isn't that better than doing conflict with somebody that you're convinced they don't want me to have what I want? That's much worse. Imagine if every time y'all had conflict, you were convinced your spouse is asking the question, how do I, in the middle of this conflict, how do I let Tina get what she wants? Imagine if you both thought that way when you had conflict. Then conflict's never a fight. It becomes wonderful. That's why Tina and I don't fight anymore. It's because when conflict happens, we're both thinking, how do I help Tina get what she wants? She's thinking, how do I help Alan get what he wants? I feel great about that. I'm not mad at all. I'm, I'm so grateful that I have a wife that thinks that way. Nothing to fight about. So we just talk it through until we can come up with a solution. So uh, about a month ago, here's a good example. Tina asked me, hey, do we have anything going on the first week of February? I looked on the counter, I said, no, I don't, I don't see anything. I said, okay, great, well, I'm going to go to Wilmington. And uh, my sister got tickets to this play. We're going to go to the play. I'm just going to stay in Wilmington through the weekend. I said, that's great. 
I forgot about the marriage conference. So last week, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> I remembered the marriage conference. I, knew, I mean, I knew I was going, but I realized, wait a minute, that, you know. I said, well, Tita, next week, we are doing a marriage conference. We're going to be in Columbia. And uh, she said, wait a minute. You told me I could go to Wilmington. And we've already bought tickets. And we've already got a plan to do all this stuff. And, and I said, well, how do we work it out? What can we do? And so rather than attacking each other and her saying, you never pay attention. You shouldn't have told me. I asked you if there was anything on the calendar. I don't want to go to that dumb conference. You go do it by yourself. That would have been a bad conference. Right? Instead of doing that, she said, well, what are we going to do? And so we just talked about it a little while and realized, well, instead of going to Wilmington on Wednesday and staying through the weekend, why don't you go this weekend and stay through Thursday? You can come home and then we can go to the conference together. Well, then we both get what we want. Everybody wins. Almost every time. If you'll give yourself the space to use your brain, you are smart. You can think of a solution that allows both of you to have what you want. It's a win-win. And then, and then she was asking, well, what are you going to do about the kids? And I said, well, I'll take care of it. Well, that's a win-win situation. Because I, I, it was my deal, and so I took responsibility for that. I'll work it out. So I started trying to work it out. It wasn't going real well. And so rather than Tina getting mad again and saying, see, you've done it again, you know, instead she said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, what if your mom and brother, uh, what if they came up and spent a couple days to get to see the kids and watch the kids and we'll go do the conference and then everybody wins, man. They'd love to see the kids and the kids would love to see them and And uh, we were able to work that out. But my point is, there's constantly, constantly issues like this. The problem is not the issue. The problem is how we tackle the issue. Do you see that? And if you'll just learn the, and this is not complicated. This isn't complicated, is it? Isn't this simple? But if if you'll learn to respond this way to conflict, I'm telling you, You'll never fight. You'll just problem solve together. It's so much better to problem solve than to fight. It's much, much, much better. All right, here's the final thing. Verses 4 and 5. He says, man, you're, you want what you want, and so you're willing to murder and steal. And here's, the, here's, the, here's the point. Is that when you fight, you lose. When you fight, you lose. You know, one of the things that People in the news, I watch the news probably too much, pay attention to it, but I, I feel a responsibility as a pastor. This is my justification and excuse could be wrong. But I feel like I need to know what's going on in the world so that I can speak to it when necessary. But anyway, one of the things in the news the last couple of weeks, last couple of days is Iran and the latest ballistic missile test and a violation of the uh, nuclear agreement that uh, we had have with them, and 
And uh, then the Trump administration, you know, has given them a very clear warning. Uh, you, you better not do that again. And then people, in response to that saying, Trump could cause a nuclear war. Now, my point is not to decide whether that's a good idea. and I don't really care what you think about that. That's not the point. The point is, you know what's bad about a nuclear war? Everybody loses. Right? Nobody wins that war. The same thing's true in your marriage. You know, every time conflict happens, you just start throwing nuclear bombs at each other. You lose. You lose. That's your life partner. That's the person you're supposed to live with. That's the person that you're, supposed, you're having kids with. That's the person you come home to today every night. That's the person you share a bed and the living room and the remote control with. I mean, that's the person. So you don't want your marriage to be this ongoing nuclear explosion. That creates Ninja Turtles or something. I mean, you just don't, you don't want that. You don't want that. If you'll learn to listen. If you'll learn to listen. Seek first to understand, ask clarifying questions, come up with a win-win solution, and there's a good chance you won't get in another fight. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Just imagine if you spent the rest of your marriage and you never got in another fight. Or what if you spent the rest of your marriage and you've gotten a fight, you got in a little argument twice a year? Imagine how that would change the culture of your home. Imagine how that would train your children. Imagine how that would impact the other couples and the people around you. You can have that. Conflict has the power to strengthen your relationship, to teach you to work together as a team, to allow you to build a great life together. Fighting will destroy you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.